When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. And when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us. As you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. You may be seated. <clears throat> we did want to let you know, we forgot to mention it earlier, that there is children's church this morning, and so if you're a child, uh, 
you may head downstairs for that now. Um, we're talking about memory and storytelling today, and these things have been on my mind a lot lately. Uh, Trudy and I uh, go visiting on Tuesdays, most Tuesdays at least, that we're, that we're both available, and spending time with uh, some of our older folks, and it truly is a high honor to spend time with humans who are nearly or who have surpassed being a century old. And we were with Chaz Strubar last week, a 99-year-old saint who was full of joy and grace. We'd asked her about what her childhood was like, and she was recounting these stories, these memories of that. And she told us the story about how she'd gotten married. And Trudy remarked that because she's so wonderful, there must have been many young men who wanted to uh, marry Chaz or, or be in a relationship with Chaz. And she replied with a dead serious face, honey, I have cemeteries full of sweethearts. <laughs> that would sound threatening from anyone but a 99-year-old Christian lady. <laughs> Chaz has a long memory, and therefore she is full of stories. And humans, by nature, are storytelling creatures, and as far as we know, we are the only creatures on Earth to do so. And memories, when you think about memories, they don't present themselves as an audiovisual file like a computer, right? They're not perfect scientific recordings of something that happened. They present themselves as stories. Memory, it seems, is not chiefly about recording information. And if you want proof, just think about all the things you have forgotten or how often you walk into a room and don't remember why you're there. Your brain doesn't seem to forget things based on their usefulness, right? I've forgotten so many useful things. The amount of times I've had to look up how many cups are in a pint or whatever boggles my mind, but I forget it. We forget these useful things. We discard memories based on which ones actually tell our story the best. And our memories really are the story that our mind is telling about itself. And since memories function like stories, that means that stories also function as a sort of external memory. It may not be your memory, but knowing the story of something actually puts you in it and puts a scene in your mind that's very similar to a lived memory. Even though you weren't there, you can place yourself, if you've heard these stories, you can place yourself in the time where your parents first met, on the day that Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton, or when the Son of God was born in a stable. None of us were there for those events, and yet they occupy a similar space in our mind as memories do. We can inhabit a story so deeply that it becomes like a memory. And our sermon summary this morning is this. The stories we tell remind us who we are. The stories we tell remind us who we are. And this fall, if you've been here, Calvary has been preaching through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I personally thought that those three months went by really fast. Could have spent some more time in those books. I imagine that may not be a, a, a common sentiment, but that's what we've been preaching through. And what we've seen is that these are our stories. These are memories given by God so that we can live out his story of redemption and love. You and I were rescued from Egypt. You and I stood at Sinai and heard Yahweh's voice. 
You and I are the priests called to be holy, the people who rejected the word of the Lord, the covenant family who inherits the creator's blessings. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy remind us who we are, who God is making us to be. And here we jump to the end of Deuteronomy. We were in like chapter 6 last week, and we've skipped forward 20 chapters to chapter 26. And Deuteronomy is the final sermon, the final address of Moses, the man who had led Israel out of Egypt. And he gives the law again to the people. That's what the word Deuteronomy means, a second law. But this time, many of the laws have been adjusted slightly. If you compare them from Exodus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, they've been changed to be more appropriate for settled life in the promised land. There's a huge promise and fulfillment of promise hiding under these endless chapters of laws and regulations. They're going to make it to the promised land. Yahweh is going to come through. And the laws end here in chapter 26. After this, some other things happen, but we won't be preaching on them now. With instructions, as Trudy read for us, for a first fruits offering and a tithe. God will settle them in the land, and this chapter 26 tells them how they are to respond to that. And we see three steps here. The first is to make an offering to the Lord out of the first fruits of their harvest. And this offering was an acknowledgement, acknowledgement that Yahweh had done what he promised, despite all that had happened, plagues and wrath and manna and war and idolatry and wandering They're in the promised land. He did it. The second stage is to recite this short form of Israel's story. This is really the first kind of creed uh, statement that appears in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 26. The wandering Aramean is Jacob, exiled from his household. Jacob's family eventually migrated to Egypt where they did exactly what God said to do at the very start, be fruitful and multiply But Pharaoh, king of Egypt, didn't like that, and so began destroying them. But the Lord heard their distress and rescued them. He brought them to this good land. Deuteronomy wants us to see it as a second Eden. He's brought them back to Eden. And now look, the people of God say, I bring the first of the fruit back to you. It's come full circle. Adam and Eve took fruit that wasn't theirs, and now Israel offers it back And the third and last stage of the offering was to celebrate the goodness and generosity of the Lord. The text says, and then you shall rejoice with all these people. And I take that to mean that they're meant to have a meal, that a meal follows this offering, a feast shared not only with the offerer's family, but with the Levites and the poor ones who have no land of their own. Find that in verse 11. The Israelite's devotion is meant to bring joy and fullness to the whole community, not just to himself. And so I think in this chapter we find the three ingredients for biblical remembering. Make an offering, tell the story, share a meal. And you see this across all the times in the Old Testament where the people of God need to remember something. At least two of those elements are generally involved. And in all the great feasts of Israel, all three of those things are involved. And these themes of memory and storytelling are important for us and for them because Yahweh's story is not the only one being told in our world. The stakes are very high for the stories that we tell because the stories we tell remind us who we are and it matters greatly in the affairs of the cosmos who human beings are. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created humans in his image to cultivate and keep the rest of creation. He created a good world full of good things meant to point us back 
to God's own goodness. But how easy it is to forget that. And biblical forgetting is not the same thing as misplacing your car keys or not being able to speak a word of Spanish even though I studied it for four years in high school. Biblical forgetting is living as if God has done none of these things and will not come through on any of his promises. To forget is to divorce your life from the story of Scripture. The danger for the Israelites is that once they were settled and happy in the promised land, they would forget how they got there and who the land belonged to. They would stop telling the story, abandon their relationship with Yahweh, forsake the poor and immigrant among them. And that's what happens as the story continues and as you read the Old Testament. So they were thrown out, just like Adam, Eve, and Jacob before them. And it seems that sin kind of almost functions like a spiritual amnesia or dementia. Sin makes us forget. It pulls apart not just our souls, but our minds and our bodies as well. When memory begins to collapse, our sense of identity goes down with it. A lot of our sin, and I think a good deal of our misery, stems from having forgotten our story. What story are we in? Do we live in a fundamentally good world hosted by a generous God who will take care of us, or do we live in a world of scarcity where we must fight to make sure that we get ours? They both can't be true at the same time, and your answer depends on what story you're telling. Our sense of identity is grounded in our memories, and our memories are formed by the stories that we tell. Many people in our day are wondering who they are. Identity dominates our politics, our media, much of our religion. Who am I? What is my purpose? Those are good questions. It makes sense that these things have come to dominate our culture because who I am, who we are, really is of utmost importance. But our culture is wrong that the individual gets to control what story they tell. The biblical viewpoint is that storytelling, memory-making, and identity formation are actually communal projects because our individual memories are flawed and unreliable. And as God's people, I want to put before you this morning three ways that we can continue to remind one another to remember together what it is the Lord has done. And it's the same as the three that's in Deuteronomy 26. Make an offering, tell a story, and share a meal. And so the first way we remember what God has done is by giving offerings, which is what this passage is about. Giving an offering is not a bribe to God to try and convince him to continue to be good to you, and nor is it taking care of his needs. He doesn't need any of the things that we give him. An offering is a form of remembering because our offerings, in large part, tell us who we are. They tell us what we value. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when you give an offering of money or time or goods, you're putting up a little monument in your heart that says, God did what he promised. This is all really real, and I'm involved in it. And the miracle is that we get to see the Lord work through our giving. And we see this in verse 21 when it's talking about the tithe and describing what the tithe does. When you've finished paying all the tithe of your produce, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. 
our generosity to him in response to his generosity to us becomes his generosity to others. The needy are filled up. And we've witnessed this multiple times in the life of Calvary, just in the last month. The Women in Mission bake sale and silent auction that took place a few weeks ago raised over $700, which is significantly more than it normally does for Threads Hope and Love, a local ministry here in Washington. The IFI pie auction, which if you were not able to attend, put it on your calendars for next year. We're going to do another one, right? Yeah. Um, you heard it here first. Put it on your calendars next year so that you too can have the goodly pleasure of getting Ryan Schrock to pay $190 for a peach pie. <laughs> We were hoping for like $3,000-ish, and we actually made for the Ministry of Friendship in Jesus' name with international students. And finally, I think that the Operation Christmas Child vendor fair and packing party uh, last Saturday, it feels like that was like three months ago, but I believe that was just last Saturday, a tremendous expression of God's generosity. And if you were here last week, you saw the hill of shoeboxes that they had set up here at the front. And each one of those boxes represents a child who will hear the good news of Jesus, perhaps for the first time. And all we had to do was put some stuff in a box and pay for it to be mailed. So that's the first way. We make an offering. The second way we remember what God has done is to tell the story. And this is what we see in verse 5 and following. You shall make a response before the Lord your God. I think telling the story looks like studying the Bible and hearing it preached. That's what we're doing right now. It also looks like our monthly testimony time, which is what we were just doing. But I think that the most regular form of storytelling for most of us is through song and music, right? The songs that we sing in church, at least the good ones, (laughs) tell a story and portray the acts of God in redemption. All our memories are faulty because of sin or the deathly effects of time, or both. We cannot rely on our own memories to tell us fully who we are. And so God has provided an external set of memories in scripture, in our songs, so that we can remind each other. Despite how most of us act, and no judgment, because I do it too, each Sunday morning is not the greatest day of your lives. <clears throat> I always feel like it's kind of a little bit of my job to like, be a spiritual flight attendant and be plucky and smiley no matter how I'm actually feeling. It just is what it is. We carry burdens, stress, doubts, lack of faith into church on a Sunday morning. We show up not fully remembering what God has done. And the blessing of belonging to a community of faith is that that's okay. You may not feel very faithful or loving today, but others do. And as we sing, as we tell the story, hopefully that does its good work in your heart and you are reminded of all that God has done for you. And the links between music and memory have been studied extensively. And specifically, one of the things I've been learning a lot about in the last couple of months, or over the last year really, is how music is used in therapy for uh, dementia and Alzheimer's and other brain disease. And they found that playing music from their young adulthood sort of wakes up folks with advanced brain disease, brings them back to themselves for a little while. They'll talk, they'll answer questions, 
You can find the clips on YouTube. It's, it's like witnessing a miracle, and it doesn't last. The effect wears off after a little while, but they found that consistently. And I think that's true for us as well. Whenever you hear a song from your high school days, it all comes flooding back, and those feelings and those emotions and those things like that. God, at least one of the reasons it seems that God created music, was to quicken our memory. And this inspired Trudy and I to start singing to the folks when we go visiting. Not because they're all struggling necessarily with the same things, but more as a general approach that songs, hymns, will boost memory. There was one day, I don't remember exactly when it was, it was a few months ago now, but we went and visited Homer, who many of you know. And Homer is a good of the ways down the path in terms of his mind and his memory and his ability to speak. And Trudy and I sang a few hymns to him, unsure if we were really getting through to him. Homer laid in his bed, seemingly asleep. It's one of those times when you're like, well, you know, we came, good to see you, and then leave. But we didn't, we kept singing. And after a little while, Homer started singing back to us, his words as clear as a bell. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. It was a gentle glimpse of Christ's ultimate victory over sin and death. Jesus stared into the snarling face of that disease and said, This man is mine. You will not have him in the end. We all can stand in the gap of one another's memories like Trudy and I did for Homer that day. We remember for one another. We serve as external memories for one another to remind each other of who God is and who each of us are through scripture, testimony, and song. And thirdly and lastly, we remember what God has done through sharing a meal. And by now you had to know that I was going to get around to talking about eating together at some point this morning. Ten months ago, we invited the Calvary family into a practice of eating with Jesus to take the risk and have friends, family, Calvary people, and acquaintances over or out for a meal. And this practice suits us because Calvary is the church in Washington that eats together and serves together. And I think most of us did it at least a few times, and I want to thank you and commend you for your hospitality and in taking part in this practice and I hope that you met Jesus in a new way around your dinner table. We've seen that sharing a meal is a sacred and intimate thing. God is at work there. Jesus loved, and I suppose still does, loves eating with people. He told stories about feasts, parties, yeast, bread, wheat, wineskins, weddings, and family reunions in order to help us understand what God's kingdom is like. Jesus gave us a meal to remember his story, similar to the celebration directed in verse 11 of our chapter in Deuteronomy. And a few weeks ago, Trudy, Dorothy, David Cherry, and myself traveled down to visit with our 104-year-old friend, Lorene, who many of you also know. And Lorene also struggles with memory, and she often doesn't know who we are when we show up. And so we tell her a brief story to remind her. We're the folks from Calvary who sing with you. That's right, Lorene says. So good to see you again. And during this last visit, we sang songs and ate pumpkin pie together. 
We told the story and we shared a meal. And what was truly powerful about that afternoon was that in the middle of eating pie, just spontaneously, we didn't ask her, Lorene started sharing stories, memories of her faith. The stories bubbled up by the Holy Spirit's power because the food and the songs had did their jobs. Loreen remembered what Jesus had done for her. And over the next 40 minutes, five versions of the good news spilled out of each one of us as we went around the table and shared our stories. The gospel according to David, the gospel according to Dorothy, and so on. And Paul says that every time we break the bread and drink the cup of communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I checked on this. Pumpkin pie and coffee don't count as official communion elements. But Jesus was there among us nonetheless in the sharing of pie and helped us remember that we are his. We remember what God has done by giving offerings, by telling the story, by sharing a meal. But biblical remembering is not only about the past, it involves the future as well. Time in the Bible is not maybe as straightforward as you may think. And we see throughout our chapter that Moses is geared for the future. He's not giving them instructions for now. He's giving them instructions for then. They were to remember the past and anticipate the future in the same act, in the same offering and story and, and feast. That works because Yahweh is faithful and consistent. His works in the future will be akin to his works in the past. History and human experience rhyme, sometimes because we make the same mistakes, but also because our God is consistent. It rhymes like a poem or a song. Sharing that time with Lorene and the others, I got the distinct sense that we will have that experience again, hopefully multiple times in our mortal lives, but also in the life to come. We will bring ourselves as living sacrifices before the Lord Jesus and he will sit us around his table and ask to hear our stories. And we will each tell him in our own way that I was a wandering exile. The powers of sin and death treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us heavy burdens. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction. The Lord brought us out of slavery with a mighty hand and with arms outstretched on the cross with great works of resurrection. And he brought us to this place and gave us an inheritance, promises flowing with milk and honey. Biblical remembering is as much about the future as it is about the past. We're his today. We're his yesterday. We will be his tomorrow. Verse 18 says, And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he promised you. In the end, our fate does not depend on the stories that we tell about ourselves or about one another. The truth is that the story God tells not just reminds us who we are, but defines who we are. You will forget what God has done, either through sinful choices, and we all do that multiple times a day, and because eventually death and its henchmen will rob you of memory, identity, health. But there is great hope for us 
in the memory of God. If you belong to him through faith in Jesus, the Lord remembers who you are. Jesus said that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not was, but is now. All memories fade. Minds crumble. Bodies rot. But Yahweh remains faithful. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Peter and Mary, of Shirley, Luke, and Wayne, of Loreen and Homer, of you and I. The prophet Zephaniah says that one day Yahweh will rejoice over his people with singing. He will sing us back to ourselves. And I imagine that his song, his joyful cosmic hymn, will knit our bodies back together, raise us from the grave, whole and complete and free of sin. It'll dust each of us off and say, I'm so glad that you're here. Let's eat. Would you please pray with me? Father, we are thankful for this good day and all that you have done for us in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for those times where someone else had to do the remembering for us. Lord, where we did not believe that you were good, that we saw no evidence that you were looking out for us, and someone else told us their story or pointed out aspects of our own that made us realize the truth. Lord, continue to teach us as a church family to tell one another the story of what God has done through our offerings, through our stories, Lord, through the meals that we share. And we thank you, Father, that you know each of us, you remember each of us, even when we don't remember you. In your name we pray, amen.